Good morning, everyone. This morning I'm going to teach on Luke 13. Now, on the same occasion, there were present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? So let me pause there for a moment. We believe what happened here is that there were some Galileans who maybe as a result of an uprising or some kind of uh, crime that they committed against Rome, that Pilate took their lives. But when he took their lives, he did it in the midst of the temple area or at the timing of some of the sacrifices that were being made on behalf of God. And this is something that the Jews looked at very unfavorably, that Pilate would sacrifice in conjunction with the sacrifices for the temple. Uh, So, you know, these guys suffered a brutal death. And Jesus is saying, do you think that they were greater sinners because they suffered in this way? So that's what's being talked about here. Now let's pick it up again in verse 3. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Man, the the enormity and significance of repentance is something that is brought up so often by Jesus in the scriptures. And I feel like uh, at times it's not talked about enough today. At our church, we've been going through the book of Revelation and through the seven letters in Revelation chapters two and three. And uh, in five of the seven letters, and, and multiple times in some letters, the message is really to repent, that Jesus is coming back, and make sure you're found in him. Turn away from complacency and turn towards Jesus. And, you know, I, I really think it's a message of love when he continues to tell us to turn away from sin and to turn toward him. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to bear fruit for him. He also doesn't want us to depart from him or to turn away from him. And before it's too late, he's saying, I want you all to repent. Otherwise, you will perish like these Galileans. Now, why would he say that? Because he doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of apostasy or lack of faith. And he's saying, you know what? Come home to me. Repent. He's doing that out of love. And those warnings are to be a warning to to guide us towards him. And I'm thankful for them. We need those. Otherwise... We too easily as people get complacent and turn away from God. So, Lord, thank you for your call in our lives to repent and turn away from sin and turn towards you. Verse 4, Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, this is not an Old Testament thing. This is something that happened, you know, that the people would have been aware of where a tower fell and people were killed. And a lot of times Jesus corrects the erroneous belief that when some kind of tragedy happens, it must be because those people deserved it or because they were sinners. And that's why the tragedy fell upon them. And You know, sometimes life happens and tragedies do happen, and it's not because the people who were in the midst of the tragedy and suffered it 
were somehow worse than the rest of us. That's an erroneous belief, and he corrects that many times in the scriptures. But he says to you, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But yet death has a way, and anyone's death has a way of reminding us of death. And, you know, that can be healthy. I mean, when it's sad, right? When we lose people we love, it's terribly sad. I want to make light of it in any way. But sometimes death of loved ones around us or just tragedy in life, it makes us reflect back on what's important. And that is on keeping Jesus forefront in our minds and our attitudes and our in our faith and turning away from sin and living for him. He's sharing all of this to draw us near to him. And he began telling this parable. And it's going to be a similar on a similar theme. And here's the parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And you know, God desires that we would live lives of fruitfulness. He desires that we would position our lives to bear fruit for his kingdom. We're saved by our faith, but saved people live to serve God. And a tree is known by its fruit. And we should be living to make a difference in this world and and doing good for God and leading others to Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of mankind. And that's fruit when we live to help others grow in their faith journey and also serve others for the glory of God, help others. You know, I guess that's why I'm doing this right now, waking up and giving a teaching is because I want to honor God. That's what he's given me to do. He's given you things to do. Could be just to help your child or your neighbor or a friend or, you know, invite someone to church or serve at your church or witness to someone, take someone to coffee, send someone a a love letter this morning and point them to Jesus. I mean, there's so many things we can do and we should be known for our good works and our fruit that flows from our faith. Well, anyways, this tree had been planted and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, so the owner of the, the tree said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? That's that's what it's for. You know, the tree is there to bear fruit. When it's mature, it'll bear fruit. You know, there's uh, people in all of our lives that <clears throat> are not living to bear fruit for God. You know, first you have to come to Him. You have to have faith in Him. And then... As a result of being born again and having His Holy Spirit inside of you and receiving Holy Spirit gifts to serve God, now they can live to bear fruit. One of the saddest <clears throat> tragedies to me, if if there's someone, and, and there is in my life that I love, that I you know, desire for them to be obviously promised heaven, forgiven of sin, all of that. But even more so, you know what? God is missing out when we are not in faith in Him we're not serving him we we are we're robbing god of what we're here to do just like this tree it's taking up ground it's not doing what it was meant to do and that's one of the saddest things for me is when someone's not living for god it's like essentially it's like they're dead even though they're alive they're, they're they can't serve god's eternal purpose unless they have faith in him and that's the thing that i hope for most is that 
all of our loved ones and people we care about would come home to Jesus, would receive his Holy Spirit, and would live for him so that they can be a fruitful tree and do what they were created to do, do what they were made to do, and that's to live for God and to bear fruit for his kingdom flowing from faith in him. So this tree is not doing what it's intended to do. So he says, cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered, this is the vineyard keeper now, back to the owner. And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir. For this year too, I will dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. And there's the opportunity to repent. There's the opportunity for, you know, there's still time. While we still have breath, there's time. But we just don't know how much time we have. Well, this tree is given a, a year. Um, you know, sometimes I think we think we have too much time and then we don't get serious about following God and be, you know, maybe it'd be good if we knew we had a year. It's like, oh, I, I better do this now. I only have a year left. Uh, but may we all, you know, realize that God's calling us to repent and he's giving us this opportunity to fertilize our tree on the word of God, to fertilize, um, you know, spend time with him to repent and turn toward him so that we can begin to live for God. May this be true of all of our loved ones. May they all hear the call of Jesus. I want you on my team. I want to use you. Hallelujah. What a glorious thing. May we serve the Lord. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she be made erect again, hallelujah, and began glorifying God. See, that's that's how it's supposed to be right there. As we come to God, God heals us of whatever, maybe depression, maybe wrong direction, maybe purposelessness, maybe not understanding the gospel, maybe sick and being healed. And, and then as a result of coming to God and seeing what he can do for our lives, we live to glorify him. Hallelujah. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. See, now this is, this is like these likely a Pharisee here, a synagogue official. He's mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Oh my gosh, get over it, right? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> We've taught much on this. I'm not going to get into it today, but... We're, we're not to be judged by Sabbaths anymore. Anyways, he began saying to the crowd in response, this is the, the synagogue official, and he's, gonna, he's rebuking Jesus for healing this woman. How sad. There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Okay, way to go, synagogue official. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Now this woman's sickness was attributed to something, you know, demonic that had happened in her. Uh, but that's not always going to be the case. But this case it was, and she was healed. 
and the crowds just loved um, Jesus taking a stand against these legalistic folks, you know, worrying about someone getting healed on the Sabbath. And in the meantime, he did a miracle too. They had to just marvel and love this. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now we're going to look at two stories here and they are difficult to translate. Um, But let me read the next one and then we'll talk about them again. And he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So in these two parables, one, there's a mustard seed, which became large. And then the birds nested in its branches and a woman took leaven, sprinkled it in the flour, and then all of the bread ended up being leavened. And one belief is that, well, the kingdom of God grows and permeates and gets large, and even the birds, you know, can nest in its branches. But another way of looking at this is that birds are typically referred to from Satan. Um, You know, the bird in the parable of the sower was uh, Satan. And if you want to, birds come and eat the flesh of people of war. And leaven is typically uh, something that, like the leaven of the Pharisees. We saw that, I believe, even in the previous chapter. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and on Passover, they weren't supposed to use leaven in their bread. So leaven typically is looked at as evil and negative, and the birds of the air is typically looked at as evil and negative as well. Now, where this passage is brought to us in a a different gospel is in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 13, both of those parables are said back to back, just like in Luke, actually, in Luke 13, interestingly enough. But prior to in Matthew, prior to those two parables being shared, I want to briefly read Matthew thirteen twenty four. This is what came just prior to that. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go up and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind in bundles, then burn them up, but gather the wheat into the barn. So isn't that interesting? The 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 kingdom of God is growing, and the wheat, God's people, are growing up in the midst of evil people, but at the end, it's all going to be separated. Now, immediately, he then says, he presented to them another parable. This is in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And, and this is the smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come nest in its branches. 
So the question is, is that, is then, do you see the birds representing the tares that, you know, even, even those who are not part of the kingdom of God may appear to be part of the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God is growing, but in the end it will be known. So I tend to lean more towards that that's what's happening is right now we live in this world. The kingdom of God is growing. We don't always know for certain who's part of it and who's not, but it's going to keep growing and, and things are mixing into it. But in the end, it's going to be revealed when, when God separates. So, uh, you know, I guess you're entitled to your opinion on that. Uh, and different scholars have different opinions, but I lean towards, uh, that ladder that I just shared that the leaven and the birds are not something positive. Um, so anyways, moving on to verse 22 and he was passing through from one city and village to another teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And I believe this is the Jerusalem that he's heading to or the time when he's going to be arrested and ultimately killed and then arise again. Hallelujah. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Isn't that interesting? So even on the heels of those two parables about the bird, the tree with the birds and the leaven, is he's talking about some people entering heaven and not. Like So listen to what it says, verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and will recline at table at the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So isn't that interesting is he's giving another parable where at the end things are going to be divided, and eventually the door is going to be shut, and only those who are allowed to enter will enter and some will get going to recline with, with the people of God and some are going to be cast out and behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Meaning, you know, you can get in right at the end, you know, you can come to Jesus right at the end, like the thief on the cross and you still get to enter the heavenly banquet. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what the timing of it, you know, the thing is, is we don't know the timing, right? We don't know when this is all going to happen, but you can come to Jesus in the nick of time. Uh, just don't wait too long. Come home to him now and live for him. You know, that's what he wants. I mean, he doesn't want you to wait to the end because then you can't live for him. Uh, praise God, you'll be saved even if you have that opportunity to come to him at the end. But might as well get saved now, get the Holy Spirit now and begin living for God now so you can live for his kingdom and be that tree that produces fruit. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying to him, go away, leave here for Herod wants to kill you. So apparently, I don't know, maybe these Pharisees are seeing something good in Jesus because they know that, you know, Herod's looking for his life. And 
he said to them, go and tell that fox, <laughs> wow, that about Herod, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal, <laughs> and that is to rise again, hallelujah. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. So he's going to keep going, even though he's going to be martyred, because he knows that Jerusalem is where he's headed to be killed. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. And that's what they've done throughout history. When prophets have come and told <clears throat> the Jews to repent, a lot of times they throw them in prison or kill them. Uh, and Jesus is now a prophet, leading them to the new church, Christianity, stemming from Ju Judaism, but now creating followers of Jesus. And he wants them, he wants people to embrace him, but ultimately they're going to kill him in Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood and her wings, and you would not have it. And that's showing God's desire that he's always wanted to gather God's people together and and have them be part of his family. And uh, they many times rejected the people he sent and uh, turned away from God and worshipped idols, sadly. And he said, Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And one day he's coming again, and it's going to be glorious, but you know, there's a, there's been a desolate time in Jerusalem. I mean, not uh, 37 years after the death of Jesus, Jerusalem was um, torn down once again. And, you know, the sacrificial system ended and it was left, uh, you know, very desolate. Now Israel is back in there. Uh, Israel is still struggling God, wrestling with God. That's what it means, Israel, by the way, to wrestle or struggle with God. And one day, hopefully, more and more Jews, like they have throughout history, will come to see Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Because one day he's coming again, and blessed are those who believe in Jesus, the Messiah, when he comes. Let's embrace him now. Let's live for him now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for purpose, and thank you for the promise of eternal life. And we, as a result of all of that, God, Look forward to your return. We can't wait to see you again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you all.